have seen that the element of time enters into our consideration of the question, what do we know about limitations imposed upon the exercise of God's loving kindness and mercy from the Bible? Men simply cannot be saved when they get ready to be saved. And thus the scripture affirms, now is the accepted time. Now is the time to come to the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation. We have seen in the first place that there are specific times when God makes a special effort or takes special measures to induce us to turn from sin and be reconciled to himself through the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the second place, we consider this fact that it is not as easy to be saved and reconciled to God at one time as another. The longer we refuse submission to the truth and influences that are brought upon us to turn us to God, the more difficult it is for us to be converted. Therefore, time is a factor with us in making possible the exercise of God's grace and mercy, or in limiting this exercise. True conversion to Christ is nothing less than a total present submission to the rightful claims of God over our lives, with a full and free forgiveness of all our past sins through faith in the death of Jesus Christ for us, in response to our humble confession and true acknowledgement of all that we have done. This state is our own response to the influences brought to bear upon our minds. In other words, it is a submission to persuasion. This the Apostle Paul did in response to his great experience when he declared in Acts chapter 26 verse 19, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. But if the will refuses submission to truth and to God, it can only do so by hardening itself against the force of truth, or by increasing its resistance to truth. Every influence of truth rejected leaves such a one in a harder state of mind than before. This the scripture refers to as a hardening of the heart. Our hearts in scriptural language is we ourselves, the very essence of our beings. Just as the physical heart is the center of our physical beings, so the Bible uses the word heart in a spiritual sense to refer to the very center of our personalities. It is we ourselves. Men do not generally reject God's claims in so many words. When moral light is refused, generally some excuse is devised in the mind to cover up the real reason. Thus Jeremiah wrote in his 17th chapter and verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We have many scriptural examples of those who have rejected and limited the exercise of God's kind mercy. For example, in 2 Kings chapter 17 and verses 9 and 12 to 14, we'll read a summary of Israel's rejection of God's loving, kind, and merciful will. How tenderly 
God sought their obedience and their happiness. But we read here, And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God. And they built them high places in all their cities, from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. And verse 12, For they served idols, whereof the Lord had said unto them, Ye shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from your evil ways, and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers, and which I sent to you by my servants the prophets. Notwithstanding, they would not hear, but hardened their necks, like unto the neck of their fathers, that did not believe in the Lord their God. So as these tender influences and pleadings were sent, and were resisted, the people were left in a harder state of mind, and a duplication of these appeals would have no effect upon them. And so it went on, until we read about Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, as he refused to humble himself also, as in Second Chronicles chapter 36, verses 11 to 13, Zedekiah was one and twenty years old when he began to reign, and reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God, and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart, from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. So as influences were brought to bear upon this king through the mouthpiece of the prophet, he resisted God's truth and hardened his heart. And so he was left in a more impossible state after these visitations of mercy. It is impossible for us to reject the moral light and truth of God and still be the same. We always grow harder in our resistance to truth. Our Lord Jesus revealed what went on in men's hearts and minds by his parable of the Great Supper. If men would not respond, they made excuse, he set forth. As in Luke chapter 14, verses 16 to 20, And he said unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and bad many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. First said unto him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So it's impossible to reject the light of God without making excuses for ourselves. Men simply do not renounce the efforts of God to turn them from sin without entrenching themselves deeper in deception and deeper in a personal, individual hardness of heart. So in the 18th chapter of Luke, we read about the rich young ruler who was very sorrowful as he turned away from the Lord's appeal to his life. 
and doubtless he entrenched himself in excuses as to why he could not give his heart to God. Of course, his could not was simply the word would not. In the 27th of Matthew, verse 24, we read about Pilate in his endeavor to salve his conscience by washing his hands before all, whereas the truth was that he was unwilling to jeopardize his future position in the Roman Empire by going against popular opinion. We never read that he faced the crossroads of truth again, and thus as God appeals to men, and men reject his light, they are rendered uh, more difficult to be reached in the future. In the sixth chapter of Acts, and verses 10 and 11, we read concerning Stephen, that noble servant of the Lord, how he made it exceedingly difficult for the religious leaders of his day to maintain their resistance to truth. We read, And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they suburned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they hardened their hearts to the point where his murder seemed justifiable. And so false accusations were brought to this dear servant of God. But we read in the seventh chapter of Acts, verses 51 to 3, how Stephen was faithful to declare the truth and to point out their real resistance. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, he said, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. And so as the Spirit of God brought light upon their hearts and sought to turn these men to himself, they had to build up a counter-resistance to refrain from submissiveness to God's light. Verse 52, Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, or of the Lord Jesus, of whom ye have now been the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels, and have not kept it? And so in the 19th chapter of Acts, we read about the Apostle Paul as he pled with the men of Ephesus to yield to the overwhelming claims of God. The majority there, as so commonly, callous their hearts in the resistance to truth. Here we read, And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. So men are saved by the persuasive argument of truth. And when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So their resistance to truth it caused them to harden their hearts to the point where they were all the more unreachable. In the 26th chapter of Acts and verse 28, we read about King Agrippa, one of the Roman rulers, who was on the very verge of submitting himself to the truth, 
when he said to the Apostle Paul, who was then a prisoner, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian, or we might say that with little persuasion I would be a Christian. He managed to resist the truth, however, and never again, doubtless, was on the verge of such reconciliation to God. Thus we read in the third chapter of Hebrews that each time that truth appeals to the heart, the heart must react with greater sternness to keep from submitting to the power of truth, and thus becomes less influenced by the truth the next time. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. How solemn is the responsibility that when truth is presented to us, and folk make efforts for our salvation, that we do not excuse ourselves and build up a resistance to the truth of the living God. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for thy divine mercy and thy tender appeals unto the hearts of men. How we thank thee that thou dost use so many different means to win us unto thyself. And we pray that many may this day be one, may be persuaded to turn from sin and repentance and through faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, be forgiven and be reconciled to thee. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.